Hey crew, before we start our latest mission, I want to remind you that you can get updates on the show, plus news and reviews from the world of Trek, by following us on Twitter and liking us on Facebook. Go to twitter.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D, or facebook.com at E-I-S-T-P-O-D, or both, and click follow or like to get on board. Plus, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your media platform of choice. And when you do, give us a review, would you? At the very least, give us a rating, because that's how iTunes and other platforms know we're doing a good job. And people who do good jobs get more exposure. So if you like the show, give us a review or a rating, and it would really help us out. And finally, if you really like the show and you really want to help us out, click over to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod, where you'll find our Patreon page. Money may be worthless in the 24th century, but we are not there yet, and your contributions can go a long way towards keeping us flying and bringing you weekly looks at the world of Trek and more conversations with authors, artists, actors, and aficionados of said world. There are many different tiers or ranks at which you can join, and many rewards available up to and including a chance at appearing as a guest on the show yourself. So head to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod to join our ranks today. Any questions, you can contact the show at EISTpod at gmail.com. And now, let's get underway. It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Caliban, and I'm here to remind you, you can't spell Sunkatse without the word stunt. I'm joined on this episode by Dr. Chris Dows. He's the project manager of the Association of Colleges Scholarship Project at East Kent College in the UK. He's also been writing for Star Trek publications and outlets for over 20 years, beginning with writing on Malibu Comics' Deep Space Nine title and contributing heavily to the official Star Trek fact files. And he writes currently for the official Star Trek magazine, specializing in technology. He also writes for the Warhammer 40K universe and recently completed the World War II adventure novel Locomotive, which is available on Amazon.com. Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much indeed, Aaron. That's very kind of you to give that, that incredibly lengthy and detailed uh, introduction. Thank <laughs> you I, very much. Did I miss anything out? No, I sound impressive. I'm really quite pleased with that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, thank great. you. <laughs> uh, permission to come aboard granted. Today we'll be thank talking you. about Tsunkatse, the 15th episode of the sixth season of Star Trek Voyager, the first Voyager episode that we've covered on the show, and what a place to start. Well, I mean, I would say the, the, the much reviled and often attacked Sunkatsi, which I think is absolutely, totally unfair. <laughs> I mean, you've got well, – one thing I need to make really, really clear, I am not a wrestling fan. I'm not a particularly big fan of Dwayne either, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. But there are elements in Sunkatsi which I think – Everybody who gives it a kicking overlooks, quite frankly, or mm-hmm. high kicking if you want to really get into it. And sure. uh, when, when you when you sort of said, well, what what um, uh, what episodes would you like to look at? And um, 
to be fair, on the top of the list was um, an original series episode, um, the the Ultimate Computer, which is absolutely my favourite. I think of the original series, but mm-hmm. um, uh, Voyager was, I think, second. I think, uh, and uh, I think two out of the five or three out of the five that I sent to you as the as the choice list. Sure. I was absolutely happy to do any of them, but um, some can't see when I when I revisited it. I had, obviously had another look at the episode um, uh, pretty recently, and I thought, do you know what? This is this is a very very good episode, but for reasons that people might not necessarily immediately think. I mean, I think um, the fact that it was possibly one of the most um, uh, violent of the uh, of any of the Star Trek um, episodes, mm. other than the latter Deep Space Nine, which is just like limbs and bodies flying yeah, all over right, the place, which you know <laughs> you can't go wrong. You know, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, but. Um, um, no, it's, oh, it's not. It's not Gene Roddenberry's vision. This, that, and the other. But there's some very interesting um, themes that are explored in Sunkatsi. But there's also some really clever and important continuity character development between Seven and the EMH, and and even even bits of of, um, of of the other characters as well. And I think it's really unfair that they're kind of overlooked just because of the fact that there's quite a bit of fighting in it. You know, I mean. Right. Yeah, well, in in preparing for this episode, you know, I wanted to see if my remembrances of it lined up with other people's impressions. And I was surprised to find, just kind of searching around on the Internet, that it didn't really make as many of uh, the the sort of worst of Voyager episodes that I expected. And I think um, I I agree with you not to give away sort of my review of the episode, but I don't think it really matches up to any other episode that's declared the worst, like uh, Code of Honor or Threshold or Spock's Brain. Oh, Threshold. Oh, there's a beautiful one. Yeah, (laughs) Oh, my God. I think that people, even though they were... I think they were unfavorable at the time. They seem to mostly have forgotten this episode exists, as far as I can see. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think that's a shame, because I think it features some good action, um, some good moments for for Seven and Tuvok and some other characters. Um, The return in two different roles of two veteran DS9 actors. Uh, And it does have the people's champion, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, in it. You'd think it would be win-win, wouldn't you, really? From some of the the kind of... I looked back on some of the uh, Star Trek magazines. It's really interesting talking about the the official Star Trek magazine because when I um, were I've been working on the Star Trek magazine for oh blimey twelve thirteen years now something like that. I went from the the fact files, the official Star Trek fact files, which ran for well, it was scheduled for a year and ran for nearly four, mm. and I ended up doing over six hundred articles for them, which I calculated was over half a million words, mostly on warp cores and wow. <laughs> all sorts of bizarre things. One, I say one of my one of my favourite articles I got to write was. Um, the um the, the genesis of uh, seven of nine's uh, supportive suits because that's what they were basically called they were they, they weren't just spangly and tight because jerry ryan looked amazingly fantastic in them they were they were supposed to be kind of weaning seven off hair implants which is a quite an interesting thing sure and um once i'd stopped shaking looking at all the photographs that had been sent to me and i started writing the article but Seven, um, well, Jerry, she's such a fantastic actor, just a, such a fantastic actor, and I think that the um, the lead Voyager episode that I that I said I, I might want to do was, uh, and I've completely forgotten the uh, the title at the moment, but it's the one when basically the AMH is downloaded into her and she acts like the AMH. The oh, AMH yeah. character becomes emergent. Like, what the hell's it? It'll come to me in a minute. It showed what a fantastic actor she actually was. Yeah. And um, but what I was going to say. Uh, when I was doing my research, uh, just a bit of reading around again, just to refresh me, a lot of the articles that were in Star Trek fact files were actually repackaged and put into the American Star Trek 
um, official magazine. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the information has kind of been recycled around the same thing. And they just took whole sections from the... Uh, from the fact files and made it into the American magazine. But there was a, a couple of interesting things, a couple of interesting um, uh, interviews, and I think one of them said uh, that Sunkatsi actually was the most watched episode in season six, which I thought was absolutely extraordinary. You know, notwithstanding the, the kicking, as I say, it, it, it got... A lot of people actually watched it when it first came out. And then gradually, I think it's one of these things, you get this a lot with Star Trek fans, that one person will say something a little bit controversial, but then everyone will turn around and say, oh, yeah, actually, no, I think you might be right about that. But <laughs> they kind of dragged Sunkatsi down with it. And just, yeah. it's funny that you said about Seven and Tuvok. That is really interesting. There's some very short but very nice exchanges, particularly at the end about um, Seven worrying about letting herself go in the violence in the arena because she might find um she might be going against all the good work that both tuvok and the amh have been doing with her to kind of regain her humanity yeah and there's a really lovely um kind of uh, um, exchange right at the end where she says that she may have lost lost it in the arena guilt shame remorse and tuvok turns around and says well if you actually feel like that you've not lost your humanity but you've reaffirmed it and there's some really tight writing in there sure. as well and when and when you look at the guys who were involved in it i mean i know the story came from from gun and kenny but the the actual script was was robert doherty and that that guy's um and i didn't even realize it's that guy's behind um the uh, elementary right the, on uh, cbs uh, right yeah uh, and it's interesting because when you also look at the other um uh, episodes that uh, doherty wrote and there was about a dozen of them or so a lot of them have got some really, really good um, uh, good dialogue, particularly Critical Care, which um, I know he did that with Kenneth Miller, but Critical Care was the one when the EMH is kind of nicked and he's put into, a, into an automatic hospital type thing. Right. And uh, that, that episode made me quite a bit of money because was, I must have got about a dozen articles for um, the Star Trek <laughs> Fact Files out of that because there was so much tech in it and anything that came up from a technological perspective – that was basically my bag, and that's why, as you absolutely rightly say, I write, I've been writing technology now for 12 years uh -huh. um, for, the, for the official magazine. Uh, and that, that's an interesting job in itself because, as, as you know, I basically investigate real-life science and see anything that's kind of Trek-esque that's come up sure. over the last two or three months. Now, the, the magazine frequency has, has gone down a little because of the, well, there hasn't been anything on TV. I'm assuming that when the, the new series comes out, whatever it looks like oh, um then the the frequency of the tv series will will uh, sorry the frequency of the magazine might might ramp up again but it does take quite a while sometimes to find um relevant real life science but when you look at the body of influence that star trek's had over real science and there's so many um uh, scientists across the world the first thing they say is oh well you know star trek was was a great influence on me <laughs> right. and interestingly not just in science but in all sorts of medical all sorts of things it, it's really nice to kind of see that that real connection but this incredibly roundabout point i'm going to make is that <laughs> it's it's this kind of reality of conversation within the science fiction setting which some writers i think absolutely nailed and they um, I mean, Roddenberry was always, oh, it's always about humanity and it's always going back to, you know, the human adventure is just beginning if you really want to go back to sort of like Star Trek strap lines. But um, I, I thought that Sunkatsi had some uh, some dialogue which was was really quite valuable and important in the whole 
continuity of Seven's development and, and the program itself. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I have some comments uh, about the dialogue as well. But first, I wanted to know your backstory. Like, how did you become a fan of Star Trek? Oh, God. Um, I, I am of an age when uh, Star Trek was uh, like late 60s, early 70s. I'm not that old. I'm only I'm, I'm 52. But um, uh, when, I was, when I was growing up, when I was like seven or eight, it was early 70s. And it was so bloody bleak in the United Kingdom that the only thing you had to look forward to was watching Star Trek on a black and white portable at uh, six o'clock at night on the BBC. And there's, there's a lot of people, if they're listening from the UK, will be kind of nodding their heads and laughing. Um, I, I can't remember. Uh, it, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds a little bit sort of like... Um, I don't know, a bit affected, but I can't remember not being into Star Trek. Obviously, there must have been a time when I, when, when I wasn't, but um, I, my earliest memories go back to being six or seven years old when it was the first time it was ever broadcast, really, in the in the United Kingdom, or possibly, um, I don't know whether it came out in late 60s in the UK, but anyway, it's definitely early 70s. Sure. It was when it was basically sliding into syndication in the States, mm. and the BBC picked it up. And I have just been... Uh, I've been a, a fan for it ever since. I mean, I, I remember when um, when the Next Generation was uh, was announced. I'm going to skip over Star Trek: the, the Motionless Picture, but obviously Star Trek Two, I thought, was just one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. Sure. And um, then the Next Generation came out, and I remember being absolutely astonished because the videos kind of hit the UK just before it, anybody bought it to show it on the on the on, on the uh, terrestrial television. And I was looking at the standees and Patrick Stewart, who was quite well known as a character actor then, and all these other exotic characters and Worf and all this kind of thing, thinking, well, I wonder if this is going to be any good or not. Mm-hmm. And is, is it going to be something that will engage me as much as the original series? Mm-hmm. Um, and it did. I just thought it was, obviously it was a bit shonky in the first first season or two, yeah. but um, after that, as it, as, it, as, it kept, as it really got going, I just thought it was it was sensational. And then Obviously, it kind of frog leaped onto onto Deep Space Nine, and again, first season or two. Although interesting with Deep Space Nine, I thought the first the first few opening episodes actually were really, really good. Some of them were really quite strong, and and then it kind of like dipped a little bit. But then that really got going, and then it all got incredibly dark and warlike, which I really, really liked. <laughs> right. But, you know, I remember at one point you had the the absolute delight of. Um, if you didn't like people getting blown up on a space station at Deep Space Nine, you could just switch over to seeing the same thing happening at Babylon 5, you know, so there's all sorts of <laughs> yes. explosions in space going on. It was really, really good. And latterly, Babylon 5 got really quite um, uh, quite, quite dark and, and quite you know, militaristic. And, and, it, and that, there was some really fantastic storylines in that. So, mm. And then Deep Space Nine begot Voyager. And I, I would say... I, <laughs> Apart from Enterprise, which I'm probably not going to speak an awful lot about, um, Voyager was the one I had the biggest problems with in the early stages. I mean, I remember actually abandoning season one um, when it was first being broadcast Mm. in in the United Kingdom, thinking, I'm not really terribly interested about this. And then I kind of revisited it again about a year or two later, and and, uh, I pushed, pushed through season one and then got into season two. And I thought, oh, this is actually going somewhere now. And then, of course, season three, season four. As soon as Jerry Ryan arrived, well, I thought, oh, well, this is definitely <laughs> worth watching now. But there was all, there was all sorts. I, I sound like I'm being awful to Kez. It was nothing to do with Kez either. It was just, um, I don't know, I just thought it, it, you know what it's like with Star Trek. They get this maturity and they get this, 
they get the vibe and everything starts to sort of fire on all on all cylinders and um sure. I, I, i've kind of kept up with it um uh, and as I, I don't know what went wrong with myself and enterprise i'm not going to blame the people who, who produced enterprise I, I have my own theories why it, it didn't it didn't work as well as it could have done mm-hmm. um but uh then i kind of I thought, okay then and then when the reboot films came along um the first one i i, I really enjoyed the second one i thought was was good and uh, i only to, to my eternal shame i only caught up with the third one about four or five weeks ago Okay. And I was astonished how much I enjoyed it. I thought it was probably the strongest of the three, which again is going against what a lot of people are saying. I just, uh, I just thought, um, I thought there was a lot about it, which I thought was was really, really worth watching from a from a kind of nostalgic Trek point of view. And it's interesting because uh, Simon Pegg, I have I have the dubious honour of actually standing next to him in a toilet at a comic convention <laughs> a few years ago before he started having these these dreams of grandeur and becoming a writer, you know. And all right. that kind of, because he's always been a comic book fan and he i don't know he must have got drunk with somebody and agreed to give out some awards once at a comic convention in bristol of all places but um, he's a really really nice bloke <laughs> and you could you, you could see um you could see the 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 strong fan influence shall we say that was particularly again going back to the writing in in the um in the third film but i'm just thinking back because it was uh, my first, as, as you absolutely said in, on the lead-in, my first um, uh, serious connection with Star Trek writing was uh, for Malibu uh, Deep Space Nine comic. And I, right. I, at the time, I was writing comic books with a, a writing partner of mine who I actually went with for breakfast with yesterday. We don't write together anymore, but we're still very good friends. Mm-hmm. And um, we decided we were going to become comic book writers and we were doing a little bit of work for independence in america for caliber comics and the much uh, much mr gary reed who died um it was the uh, the owner of caliber he died a few weeks ago sadly we found out mm. but anyway um we just sent some stuff over to um to malibu because there were people who had broken away from marvel and Colin, who was a much bigger comic book fan than I, said, well, let's pitch him some ideas. You're the Star Trek fan. But Deep Space Nine hadn't even really come out at that point, and we were pitching for the Next Generation comic book that they had. Okay. Um, and it all kind of, after about six, 12 months, they called our bluff and said, okay, well, Deep Space Nine's coming out. Why don't you write us some stories for that? To which we, And this was no internet at the, at the time. Yeah, this yeah, right. The odd phone call, the odd fax, and a couple of letters, and we kind of communicated back and said, yeah, yeah, great. Um, what does it look like? It's not going to be broadcast here for like three or four months, so they sent <laughs> us a package of stuff. Oh, wow. This, this, yeah, this, they were really cool over at Malibu. It was great working with them. It really was. Um, they sent us NTSC tapes that we couldn't play. It was fantastic. It was it, it was all we managed to track down a player so we could watch it. And we were one of the first few people to watch Deep Space Nine in this country because we were going to be writing stories for it. So we thought we better know what's going on. Right. And that was the beginning of um, my professional involvement, if you like. And we did, although I say so myself, Colin and I. We did a couple of infill short stories, and then we we were given a couple of um, double issue parters, and we actually have the rather sad honour of being the last writers on the Malibu Deep Space Nine because Marvel basically bought out Malibu because there was right. such a big threat, yeah. and then promptly shut everything down. Yeah. And then they filed for bankruptcy. So yeah, that was really really great experience for us. But <laughs> in the meantime, because I'd done the Deep Space Nine as a comic book writer, I was at a comic convention in the uk 
and a friend of mine um, who for once was sober pointed out someone, a, a young lady in, in the crowd who's going through a load of comic books and said, you know, that is, no, I don't know. That's the editor of the new um, Star Trek Fact Files magazine, which had just started. It was on about issue five or six. She said, what? I says, oh, I'll go and say hello. So I gave her a card, told her I'd done a bit on Star Trek. Oh, yeah, right, okay, yeah, well, we are looking for writers. I thought, well, this sounds good. <laughs> and um, so she I gave her a card, didn't hear anything from her. A couple of weeks later, she she, she uh, emailed me and said, um, would you fancy doing a tryout um, article for us? And I thought, yeah, of course. So she gave me, I don't know whether you remember this, but um, this is in, um, is it in Deep Space Nine? It is, it's the one where the um, oh is it Odo and oh I can't remember anyway it's a bomb and it's on screen for about four seconds and I had to write 800 words on it and I just thought you've got to be kidding me <laughs> so anyway I did I, I, I freeze freeze framed my, 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 my VHS copy of the, of the episode right. to death got as much <laughs> of it as I could and because I did such a good job on it, she sent me another tryout, which was the, the Borg Queen's uh, escape sphere at the beginning of Star Trek First Contact, sure, sure. which is on screen for about 12 seconds mm-hmm. before it gets destroyed. So I thought, is she just trying to make it really tough for me or not? But anyway, so I wrote an article on that, and then I ended up doing over 600 for them. <laughs> that lasted for over three years. At the same time, I was writing comic books, but sadly never went back to doing any Star Trek comic books. I did get a gig for about six months on the Star Trek website, though, I did a lot of work for them on um, Voyager shuttles, if I remember rightly, and I did some timeline stuff for them as well. Mm. Then when the Fat Files finished, that's when I picked up with um, the Star Trek official magazine because they knew that I'd done all this kind of technical work on the on the Fat Files. Mm. And I've been with them ever since. I've seen off four editors with the official magazine. So, uh, to my absolute delight, I've, I've had an unbroken record of being published in one format or another on Star Trek for 22 years. So, that's basically how it all came about. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, I think <laughs> currently most of my listeners are, are from the States. Uh, so, I think both they and I are interested to know what, what Trek fandom is like in the UK. Um, Star Trek's big there, I assume. Oh, it, it is. It, it's... Um, it's not quite the embarrassing, geeky <laughs> affair to to um, right. admit that you're a fan that it used to be. Because I think, um, to to JJ Abrams' credit, he has brought quite a, a bigger appeal to uh, to the franchise. Sure, um, we don't have the scale. We just simply don't have the scale. Anything to do with comic books, anything to do with um, conventions. That so. I mean, I've been to the Chicago Comic Con twice. And, okay. Yeah. Um, I was just as astonished that uh, the the, um, the Rosemont that used to be called the Rosemont where it was held yeah. that they had they had indoor tractor pull competitions. Yeah, yep. how, how can a building be that large? And then you stand in it and think, mm, okay. And then you see um, the place is just utterly full of of, uh, of fans, and a lot of them are Star Trek fans. I've been to a couple of conventions in the UK. They they. The whole fandom thing, particularly cosplay, interestingly, that's really taking off in this country now. You know, we're only about 20 years behind everybody else. But um, there's, there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more people involved and a lot more people happy to admit that they're involved. And so Star Trek has always had a very, very hardcore, quite faithful um, following in the United Kingdom. It's just not quite as... Um, uh, 
not quite as obvious. Uh, you know, what British people are like. It's like, well, are you a Star Trek fan? Oh, well, I'd like to admit that I am, as opposed to running around shouting, "I love Spock" with a pair of Spock ears on, which happens <laughs> right. a lot in America. I'm led to believe. But, and you know, we don't tend to dress our dogs up in in Picard outfits and things <laughs> yeah. like that, which which just appalls and amuses me in equal measure when people put these photographs up. Like, ah, do what you like, mate. It's great. You know, go for your life. All good. Leave the dog out. Yeah. Yeah, but just leave the dog out for goodness' sake. I mean, the poor thing. I mean, it's Embarrassed, <laughs> but um, the, the the whole fandom thing in the UK is very interesting. Um, we don't say so the scale's nowhere near yours, but there is that the, the, there has always been, even from the late sixties, there's been a lot of people who've have grown up with it and and kept faithful with it. And sometimes it can be very very difficult, and sometimes it's made very easy for you. And I mean, I, I, when I first saw the the photographs of the sets of the um, the reboot um, bridge, I thought it looked like someone had dropped a brochure off from Ikea. I just thought it looked, yeah. what, what the hell is this? Yeah. What's with all the shiny plastic? And the editor at uh, the Star Trek magazine at the time, he, he said, oh, no, 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 I've, I've, I've visited the set. It looks fantastic. It looks really, really good. I thought, oh, okay, well, uh, I'll... I'll I'll oh, no, reserve judgment on that. It turned out to be absolutely wonderful. You know, really, really good. A bit too squeaky clean, I think, perhaps. But um, yeah, so so the whole fan thing in, in the United Kingdom. Um, I wouldn't I say I wouldn't go out of my way to go to um, a, a convention because the problem with the, the career, if you like, that I've carved out for myself uh, in writing is that because. Um, if i get one tiny thing wrong Aaron, everybody wants to 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 just string you up and have a go you know actually i think you'll find that the trigger was blue not light green oh well excuse me you know okay i'm really sorry i was working from these photographs i was working from these set designs i'm sorry if i got that slightly wrong but um i just i i prefer to enjoy star trek myself um in my own quiet way you know and uh a lot of people, I think, in England are like that. Um, but I, I, I just think that the, the whole um, Trekker thing, the whole, the whole fandom thing is, is sensational. I think it's staggering. I think it's worthy of praise. And I think to a, to a person, anyone I've ever met, really, um, particularly over in America who is involved in, in, in Star Trek fandom, are always really nice people. And then it, you can't say better than that, really. You know? Yeah. Well, so okay, so the uh, the British aren't necessarily dog costume people, um, but there certainly is a long tradition of sci-fi on TV in Britain. So, oh god, yeah, oh, from yeah. that angle, like, is Star Trek seen as an American thing, or is it embraced as you know, kind of for everybody? I, I think um, it's a peculiarity of people, particularly who enjoyed uh, interested in science fiction. They don't particularly care where it comes from as long as it's good sure. i mean there's got to be an excuse why people watch farscape i guess i don't know but yeah uh, that was really mean i do apologize <laughs> sorry um, australians <laughs> uh, yeah sorry about, sorry about that uh, good effort i mean <laughs> when, when, when you look at um uh doctor who for instance i mean i i'll, I'll be honest, honest with you i have i've just completely lost it lost it with doctor who i'm not i'm i'm not i kind of began to lose interest after um Christopher Eccleston dropped out. Now, it's not to say that um, Matt Smith and the other actors haven't been fantastic doctors. I think Peter Capaldi is one of my favourite actors, mostly because of a, um, a very, 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 very rude comedy show that he did for a few years called The Thick of It, yeah. um, where he's just an absolute animal and fantastic. And I know he's a huge star, uh, uh, Doctor Who fan, but I, 
the, there's a certain formula that the new Doctor Who has adopted, which is just not for me. I, I just I just don't really enjoy it. It's a massive success. It's probably kept the BBC afloat now for five or six years, and I respect the programme absolutely for that. Going back to your original question, the, the history of science fiction is nearly as old as the history of British television. I mean, I, this is an area that I'm particularly interested in. I mean, I did... When I did my first degree, I, I did a, 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 my, my third year dissertation on the, the place of special effects in narrative. And my PhD was actually on the place of um, comic book writing within the, the textual matrix, i.e. why should you take writing comic books as seriously as writing theatre, writing film. Mm. And I spent three years doing lots of research into all sorts of different aspects of, <laughs> of fantasy and science fiction. Not a bad three years, I have to say. It was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But... One thing I did, I kind of realised was, if you look at the history of, or you know, dramatic television on the fifties, even live broadcast, you go all the way back to Quatermass. Yeah. Um, th- there has been a very, very strong tradition of usually quite bleak, uh, dystopian science fiction storytelling. Mm-hmm. But I think, although you could argue, yeah, well, yeah, Star Trek's an American product. There's always been. Um, uh, an, in, uh, an English or British or whatever interest them, notwithstanding James Doohan's fantastic uh, Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah. Bless him. Um, but, you know, when I, I think Patrick Stewart being cast in, in The Next Generation, it, that really took a lot of people by surprise. And um, we kind of, from that point, I think we possibly felt that Star Trek was just that little bit more English, really, even though he was playing a Frenchman, which right, everybody right. in England would refuse to believe. You know, no, no, <laughs> not really. No, it can't be French. It can't be French. But, and I thought it was really ironic that that guy, one of the guys who um, was involved in that round-the-world um, solar aircraft, uh, did you see it? The huge aircraft that was going around the world, solar-powered. Right. Um, uh, it caught quite a lot of coverage in Europe. Um, one of the two guys who was piloting it was called Picard, which I thought was quite sweet. Really. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> but um, uh, it's, uh, it, I think people, I think the Brits don't really care so much about... Um, about the Americanism of it, if you like, unless of course it's kind of thrown in, th- thrown, you know, thrown in your face, put shoved down your throat. I mean, there's some episodes of the original series, yeah, with the Yangs and the Coms and all right, that kind right. of thing. Where you just think, oh dear, that's a bit much, you know. Yeah. But no, I mean, any any science fiction that's good science fiction, I don't think it. I, I should say that for the rest of the world, really. I don't think they much care where it comes from, yeah. as long as it's good characters and good stories that are told well, really. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, just out of curiosity, do you have a least favorite episode of Star Trek? Oh, well, you've already mentioned one of them, um, which was... Uh, yeah. Threshold. Yeah, Threshold, but yeah. Fairhaven um, oh, throws yeah. me into a rage that is so enormous I usually have to go and buy a new television set the next day. <laughs> um, I, I've known to destroy entire DVDs because of Fairhaven. Fairhaven just is all that was bad in, in, in Star Trek as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Sure. Uh, mostly, and this, this, I don't want this to sound like again like i'm some kind of affected creative but it's such god-awful lazy writing and storytelling and it's just like who how could that especially when you read um interviews with other writers and they had these ideas and they were rejected and you think oh you've got to be kidding me compared to how some of the stuff has got on got onto the um got onto the screen you just think it's absolutely astonishing yeah i, I mean you can kind of categorize 
Star Trek episodes, or any, any, any long-running series episode, really, into three. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, okay. Or, I don't ever want to see that again. <laughs> right. And there's, there's usually, mostly, yeah, okays. The occasional absolutely brilliant, um, like, you know, Yesterday's Enterprise, that kind of thing. I mean, I remember when the opening shot of Yesterday's Enterprise, when there's that trombone shot, and it all immediately sort of switches in the captain's chair to the alternative universe. Yeah. I nearly fell off the sofa watching that. I just thought it was absolutely sensationally done. Um, so that's definitely one of my favourites. But uh, I actually have got quite a soft spot for Spock's brain. I think it's quite funny, uh, <laughs> and uh, for all the wrong reasons. But um, I don't, I don't loathe it as much as um, anything to do with Kirk kissing too many women, all that kind of thing. You know, sure, like, oh, sure. On, just get on with it, will you? Really, dear. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 you get—I don't know—whether as, as you get older, do you, do you get, do you get less or more bothered? I've, I've just actually—I'm just trying to calm myself down, thinking about Fairhaven now. So <laughs> clearly, down. no, that's that theory out of the window. <laughs> um, I, I, mostly, mostly fun memories and enjoyable. But you do, as you get over, when you get older, when you've got your full selection there on whatever format it might be, you do tend to gravitate towards a select few rather than, oh, I'll just put that on and see whether I still hate it or not. No, yes, I do. Switch right. it up, you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel similar. I, I can forgive things like Spock's brain as well. Um, silliness is, is fine, um, I think, yeah. as I get older. What I get really disappointed by is when the show tries to challenge um, its own premises or yeah. to introduce things it doesn't usually have, and it completely fails. And you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't get down on a, on a show for failing, but when you fail so hard, uh, I think Threshold is a good example, of course, um, challenging sort of the idea of having a warp barrier or just challenging the science of their universe and mm -hmm. coming up with nothing for that. Yeah. And, and also an episode like Sub Rosa, oh. which tries to, uh, tries to add uh, some sexuality and, and stuff to the universe and what you wouldn't usually see on a syndicated show in the 80s mm -hmm. and just does it in this completely unappealing way and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some of the early uh, season one and season two next generations as well. They, they, they get they, they, they the, the idea is, is quite quite brave, particularly about um, uh, gender and uh, gender issues and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. I think you can kind of compare it to the opening shots on the on Encounter at uh, Farpoint when you very briefly see a bloke in a skirt. And you think, right. Oh, yes. hey, it's the future. You know, right. <laughs> and then you never see it again. And probably for all the right reasons. Right. Um, when I was saying about um, about Sunkatsi and about some of the themes that uh, I think were overlooked, um, I, there was one thing that I really f I'd completely forgotten about, which is Neelix getting sunburned in, in, in by two suns. Right. And you only see one sunburn, so it's really funny where you're kind of guessing, well, where else did he get burnt? All oh, right, okay, I see. We're not going to see that. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's leave that alone. It's yeah. that kind of subtlety that I really, really like. And his uh, Ethan Phillips' um, little waddle off screen yeah. as the scene ends yeah. where he sells it to Oh, yeah, that's really hurting me, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he makes that, he puts that cream on and it just makes it worse, and he has to go to the AMH, which I thought was really, really good. Right. But the, the whole, one of the themes that's in Sunkatsi, which I don't think anyone really talks about, is this whole idea about turning a blind eye to suffering and um, becoming part of the, the problem because everybody else does it and there's a couple of kind of th throwaway lines um right. ab about you know, i think it's i see it's um uh it's robert beltran who says it um he, he says like well we we were all okay with it until seven got nicked you know and he's like well yeah that's absolutely absolutely true and i think there's, there's a kind of an unfair um 
criticism of the Star Treks as they go away from the original series, and particularly from Gene Roddenberry's influence in the oh, it's, it's not how he would have liked it. But I got the feeling that there was a lot of themes in Suncatsi that actually he would have approved of because it was like, well, yeah, it's, it's okay while everyone's pointing at the, at the, the, you know, the, the ugly kid in the corner. <laughs> Until you become the ugly kid in the corner, and then all of a sudden you think, "Hmm, that's that actually that is, that is quite quite unpleasant, really." Sure. Well, um, hold that thought, so I can introduce uh, some of the particulars of the episode, and we can get sure. right back into talking about it. Um, we are talking about Sunkatsu. It's the fifteenth episode of the sixth uh, season of Voyager. The first uh, time it was aired on TV was February ninth, the year two thousand. As you mentioned, Robert Doherty was the writer. For uh, or teleplay uh, provided the story of the episode and teleplay, and the Gannon Kennedy uh, worked on the episode as well. And as far as I can tell, this is only one of two of his TV credits. Um, he also wrote an episode of the science fiction seven uh, series Seven Days, which I'm not sure that you guys no. got over there, but. And it was directed by Mike Vehar, who has directed oh, many yeah. episodes of the modern series. Yeah. And the start date on the episode is fifty three forty four seven point two, and just. Just to get this out of the way, your assignment, if you can, is to give me a 25-word synopsis of Sunkatse. And I will try not to chant, soon cut, soon cut, as you do it. Seven gets stolen, gets beaten up, doesn't kill someone when she could have done the end. That's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Maybe put uh, maybe put Dwayne Johnson in there somewhere. But yeah, I think that yeah. does it. I was raising an eyebrow. Why does that? Well, I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson does appear, of course, as the Pendari warrior, and he does all his own stunts in the episode. Yeah, apparently so. I, I, now, talking of stunts, this is fabulous. And what a great segue! You'd think we'd actually uh, rehearsed this. We haven't, folks. <laughs> Stunt double Dana Lynn He, who um, I just did a little bit of research on. Um, she's virtually the same shape as uh, Jerry Ryan, lucky lady. And uh, she, uh, I don't know whether you realise this, but the first Sunkatsi fight that you see, there's a dark-haired female fighter, that is actually Dana Lynn He. Hey, what do you know? And she uh, doubled um, for uh, Jerry Ryan on season six and season seven. And there's actually some very, very nice... um, editing and cutting of the fight scenes because yeah. um uh, it's, it's not <laughs> well when you see the um uh when you see the original series and you see this the stand-in for kirk who was you know four foot five and um right, right. Out to step, you know he's just like it's just dreadful on a big tv but hilarious yeah, I, I was watching mirror mirror the other day and there's the fight in the uh, sick bay where they're all attacking mirror spock and it sort of pulls up to this sort of look down kind of camera and it's yeah. clearly it, none of those people are our main characters. Uh, I, I think they might have gone round to a, to the, the closest, um, I don't know, kindergarten, got a few kids and scaled the set down because sure. it's so unconvincing. It's unbelievable. Yeah, like, yeah. No. But um, I, I, I'm hoping, I'm thinking you want to get round to um, uh, Hertzler and, uh, and Jeffrey Coombs because they absolutely make the pro, make the, series, the episode as far as I'm concerned. They do, of course. Uh, Jeffrey Coombs appears as Pank, the yep. uh, alien fight promoter, and... Hertzler is the Herogen Hunter, who is unnamed in the episode, I think. And this episode is the first time that both actors actually appear together in a Star Trek oh, episode. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I was, I, one of my, the absolute delights of Deep Space Nine was uh, Wayoon, was uh, Jeffrey Coombs' Wayoon. I, yes. I just thought every time he was on the screen, he stole the episode. And there was just a, do you remember the one where Iggy Pop's in it as well? He, he turns I do. Up. Speaking of some stunt casting, yes, I do. Extraordinary casting, though. He's saying he pop. Hey, I saw him in 1991. What the hell is he doing in Star Trek? But anyway, there you go. 
Um, but I, I just thought Jeffrey Coombs was, was excellent, and he's really, really good as Pank, and, um, which is not really surprising. That's probably why, why they cast him. But I think, arguably, because Herzler was always doing the scenery chewing as, as Martok and, and his, you know, his fantastic one-eyed makeup and all that, mm. I thought he did actually probably a stronger job as the as, as the hydrogen because and you, when you watch the um the expressive uh, the expression that's allowed through his makeup because uh, mm. i think westmore was doing the makeup then, i think he was um it's just but it's all voice acting with him he is yeah. so good with his voice it's fabulous yeah yeah he's really great and it's and also you can just tell um you I, you could recognize his eyes and i think his yeah. eyes uh, do a lot of uh, work through the makeup as well yeah yeah I, with them working together, I mean, um, it was almost as if Coombs just like, right, give us a costume, chuck us in, what do you want me to do? It, it, it just seems so, I'm, I'm sorry I'm being grossly unfair to him, I'm sure he works really hard at what he does, but he sure, he sure doesn't make it look as if it's hard work. I mean, right. he, he just like oils his way in, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, gives just his, his expression and his reaction and everything, it's really, really well controlled and you can kind of believe this guy just goes around stealing people <laughs> and killing them for, 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 for money, you know, yeah. for the viewing, for viewing figures, which I, I mean, where do, where do you want to go with that? I mean, I think you described his character as uh, the Don King of the quadrant. That's right. I read yeah. that somewhere. That's right. Absolutely. Don <laughs> King without the wig. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's, he's just, it's just really, really good. And when you look at the actual, uh, the Suncatsy set and everything, it's actually quite minimal. Um, but there's there's a lot of um, extras when they're doing the um, uh, when they're in the arena when they're watching and I think there's a lot of Deep Space Nine old Deep Space yeah. Nine uh, outfits yeah. and uh, makeups got uh, shoved on people for that. But when you when you see the opening when there's the, the opening it's actually it seems to be quite a big episode you know quite a big grand episode but it's um, it's actually quite. Um, uh, it's quite um, restrictive in a way, you know. You feel confined when you're in the cells, and uh, the actual arena itself—it's quite chilling when they're just fighting. When they cut to when it's the the uh, the Suncatsy Hollow ship, which I also got lots of lovely jobs out of, if I remember rightly. And um, particularly, was it not Norcadian plating, Covarian shielding? That's what it was. Right. And uh, I mean, that was just like one line, and I had to do something with that. But oh, that was the job. <laughs> But um, it was actually quite chilling when it cut to them just fighting, and you just heard the the impact of them hitting each other. I thought it was uh, it was quite brutal, really. I mean, yeah. it, it was people fighting anyway. But there was a, there was a there was very very good direction and very um, almost minimalist. Less was very much more for that episode, and I think that's one thing I admired as well, particularly with the direction. So. Yeah, the, the fights look great. Uh, similar to the Voyager episode Blink of the Eye, this episode uh, had to be renamed to Sakatsi because yes, it originally was entitled Arena. Arena yeah, yeah, which uh, has, of course, is the title of an original series episode. Um, but this gives the crowd something fun to chant, though, so we've got that going for it. Absolutely. Yeah, because I couldn't have just pr- chanted Ari, Ari. That, would right. be <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. Uh, uh, Sunka, that's much better. Let's talk about this uh, episode. Uh, we mentioned it before. Um, my big question, I think, or the problem of the episode, if you will, uh, why our characters are so jazzed about this alien blood sport? Like, what is going on there? It's true that uh, people in the 24th century like Parisi squares, mm-hmm. which the more I hear about it, it, it just sounds like the most violent thing. I don't think I've ever seen uh, like a mock-up or a rule set for what actually happens no. in Parisi squares. but. No. You might be able to help me with that, but no, it's incredibly violent. We 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 never we on the I say we when we were doing the fact files. Yeah, I don't remember. Ah, there was one. 
there was one game that we did. I can't remember what it was, but we didn't do Priestly Squares. But the thing I would really have liked to have seen about Priestly Squares, if Harry Kim was so good at Priestly Squares, I would have paid money to have an episode made just to see him beaten to a pulp in Priestly Squares, quite frankly. <laughs> that's a really, that's an unkind thing to say. I apologise unreservedly <laughs> to Garrett. Um, I mean, I, I think it was probably, he'd read the script and he was just so happy that it wasn't him who was the hostage for a change it was somebody right. else so you just thought well give me something else to say then will you yeah it, it, it is a bit I, I don't know whether that's a little bit of um uh, the um the culture of the day shall we say just creeping its way into the writing a little bit oh blood sports oh, interesting actually. okay okay so know. do you think that Viger or Viger? do you think that voyager is yeah. like a ship full of jocks no, I don't. Uh, I, I think it's it's kind of split into two. It's of people trying to run away from things and people trying to throw themselves into things. Uh, okay, uh, uh, that's that's you, one of the one of the big criticisms of Voyager is that the the duality of the of the crew. I mean, effectively, uh-huh. you've got pirates and you've got the navy all on one on one ship, and all right, they kind of struggle through it a little bit and occasionally remember it into season two, but then. Uh, it kind of gets forgotten, and I think that's a little, a little bit of a, little bit of a shame. Um, everyone becomes a little bit too civilized, a little bit too quickly, and I think that one, one of the things about um, Seven as a character is that because she's almost um, a techno savage, and there's this kind of, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that, and so well, well, why? Because basically, as you know, humanity have been have done more or less the same things as the, as the Borg have done um, over sure. over their history. And I, and I think that sometimes, it's interesting what you said earlier on, the writers can tie themselves up in knots when they try to tackle something that they haven't done before and get it wrong, or they try and they almost turn on themselves, really. And in a way, you might argue that there's a little bit of that in some cat scene, that they're kind of turning on the... Uh, on, on the... The, 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 the turning on this kind of squeaky clean image of, of what Star Trek crews usually are, and all of a sure. sudden they're all wanting to go and watch blood sports. Like, whoa, mm, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 fair enough with a couple of the characters. You think, oh no, because he's a boxer, you know, he would he'd go and see. Yeah. It. He'd go. And yeah, watch I was trying. It. I was trying to think too, like who on the uh, Enterprise D would like this? I, I I don't think anybody but Worf that I can think of would really enjoy doing something like this. Um. The Enterprise D. That's a good question. Or maybe uh, I guess Riker, if he was hanging out with Warren. Well, it, it depends on how you know whether he was walking at forty-five degree angle down the corridor at that point or not, with his with his head on one side. I mean, it depends what kind of mood he's in, really. Right. <laughs> uh, he never he never convinced me, Riker. To be honest with you, never huh. yeah, never really never really dug Riker. The and character always, or or the actor? Uh, oh, the actor's fab. I love him. I think Jonathan okay. Frank is great. Sure. But sure. The, the the whole Riker character, I, I always felt that he was just like. Oh, give me something better to do, will you? You know. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, this is this is getting way off base for the uh, episode, but yeah, of course I, it is. Well, but my, I think that my personal view of uh, Riker is the question that they keep asking about him, which is why is he still? If he's so great, why is he the first officer of the Enterprise? Why doesn't he have yeah. his own command? That yeah. never really gets answered throughout the series. It just no. becomes his his kind of thing that goes through seven years. And interestingly, in, in um, Pegasus, for instance, where he's kind of 
faced with his past and he was also second in command there he's just like well are you trying to reinforce the point that you haven't reinforced the point i mean what are you trying to do here because yeah. again they're trying to answer their own questions and leaving more questions for people to like puzzle over which is a bit of a shame no i, I thought jonathan frakes um w- was great i mean i think that uh, as a director i mean the, the, the job that he did on uh on first contact was absolutely sensational and yeah. um I, 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 I he always seems to be at conventions such a nice guy you know affable guy but yeah I think he had the same problem that um, uh, Archer, the, uh, it was the actor who played Archer in Enterprise. Scott Bakula. Uh, Scott Bakula. He just had the same problem. He just didn't have anything to do, quite frankly. I think there yeah. was nowhere for him to go, which was a bit of a shame. I mean, when you've got, like, you know, one of the leading lights of the Royal Shakespeare Company chewing scenery next to you, what the <laughs> hell are you going to do, quite <laughs> yeah, frankly? Yeah, right, right, of course. So, I think that hopefully uh, Discovery will uh, develop that a little more since the main character is a first officer. Maybe we'll get to see them kind of learn the in, ins and outs of command and, you know, what it takes to, to be a captain of a starship. Maybe so. I mean, I think there's still... There's still a lot, a lot of stories to be told, and I think that was one of the big frustrations with Enterprise, and it almost kind of ra- ran home to Mama. It just, it, it just went back to all the safe kind of storytelling, apart from the last couple of episodes where they dragged out the next generation to rescue it all. And I just thought, this is such a shame, really. I mean, all that money and all that potential and all those fantastic actors, and and, and um, uh, who was the Doctor? Oh, um, on Enterprise, what was his name? Doctor Flux. Flux. I just thought he was fabulous. I thought the actor yeah. was great. I thought the yeah. character was great. And he just like, oh, wheel him out now and again to intimate that he has to make love to 15 different creatures to make a baby and all that stuff. Yeah, great. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's have a bit more of that. Well, not on the yeah. screen, you know, but, and it was just like, oh, and, um, uh, the, uh, uh the armory officer as well. And the, and the, and the, and the navigator. And they're just yeah. like, Oh come on! Let's have some more storytelling. You know, let's let's go somewhere we haven't been before. Let's have some lower deck storytelling, that kind of thing. You know. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, black back to the blood sport. Uh, there's been other uh, fights to the death in other episodes, like Amok Time and Gamesters of Triskelion. Uh, there's one. In, there was that DS9 episode where Worf has to fight in the prison camp or something. Oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's always depi- uh, depicted as being um, really bad, and so I'm wondering why it's you know depicted as being something great here. And I assume uh, that it's a crossover marketing strategy. Uh, strategy because at the time on UPN, the network of Star Trek Voyager, uh, WWE, or at the time WWF uh, SmackDown uh, was uh, on, yeah, of course. Yeah, maybe so. Where the Rock was uh, the big star on that show, and you said that you weren't uh, really a big wrestling fan, so no. maybe you don't have a connection to this uh, sort of. But I do remember watching some wrestling at the time, and I was I, I was actually watching more wrestling than Star Trek at the time. I had kind of fallen off of Voyager, and when I heard that the right. Rock was going to be on Voyager, it was a chance for me to go back, and I remember feeling like, which this is sort of a contradiction, but um, they were kind of selling out. But at the same time, I was gonna I was gonna check it out. Yeah, and I was going to go see what was going on over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember not really liking the episode all that much, and kind of agreeing with myself that it was selling out. But as you had mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, it was the highest rated uh, episode of yeah, that apparently season. so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I'm sure there's an interview with it might be Tim Russ or um, somebody else, but they said that they they saw it as being a crossover marketing strategy and thought it was sure. actually quite clever. So, sure. I mean, f- fair play, you know, it's fair enough. If whatever, whatever works, works. It got the numbers up for, um, for that episode. And uh, I say, I'm still really surprised that uh, it was, the, it was the top episode in, in season six, but, um, 
there's a lot I say there's a lot in the episode and and I I think um everybody remembers the fighting and doesn't really remember quite useful and interesting and engaging um continuity information character arc development there's all sorts of stuff going on there notwithstanding the fact you've got Coombs and Herzler back in as well which is worth watching it for itself quite frankly I think yeah. I thought um one of the strengths that that Combs brought to the um to the uh to the role was um if you if you watch how, how he acts it's it's very very civilized and uh yeah it's very controlling his his voice talking of Herzler's voice Combs his voice does one thing and the words do another thing and when you watch how he interacts with people it's really really interesting that someone could bring um such a kind of complexity to something that looks so simple again he makes it look really really easy and i'm sure it isn't and everything from him talking about getting his new acquisition to um how popular attraction it's going to be and the ratings are going to be great you know <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm, I just, not sure, I'm not sure that he's such a good fight booker though because he uh immediately figures out that he's got this great heel on his hands in seven and then he wants to put her in a death match yeah immediately. yeah you gotta draw that out as no, long absolutely as right yeah because he says um uh, three billion pay to see a hurt. Imagine how many will pay to see a die. Yeah, well, what are you going to do after that, then, you fool? Yeah, book it at SummerSlam or something like that. <laughs> You've got to start thinking these out, Pink. Come on, man. <laughs> I know you're only in for the one episode, but come on, you know. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I just thought uh, the whole thing, again, hurts the picking up the um, the hydrogen, which I thought were, well, up until the the, the, the double episode they did when um, with, with all the Nazi stuff, which we won't go into, but uh, well, yeah, yeah. The um, I, I thought the, the hydrogen were always a little bit um, never quite never quite got as far as, as the, never quite as, as scary as I think they were originally intended to be, which was fair yeah. enough. But I think he brought a kind of nobility to the role, which was very very nice. Which of course, yeah. having done Klingons, he's got this whole idea of kind of honor and nobility and things like that. And it's you're right, it's it's, it's the it's how he does it with his eyes, a lot of his acting. Um, yeah, I, I like you mentioned the nobility, although I do like how adaptable they are just as hunters because he kind of, you know, he trains up Seven and he kind of trains her in the Tao of cheap shots. Yeah. Uh, just t- telling her that, you know, you, you have to do anything to win and you can't. Uh, they, they, I thought they needed to have a little Karate Kid montage uh, when he's kind of <laughs> showing her the moves and everything. Well, we didn't exactly get that. Well, we could have got actually painting the inside of the cells or something like that. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or yeah, short push yeah. down. You know, she could have done that. I and mean, I've got to got Tuvok to join in or something like that. Bless him. Yeah. Very good state, was he? I've got yeah, to tell speaking, you how, oh, he, go how he actually survived that explosion. When you look at him. And he sticks his, his face right in that bomb. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's lots of pockmarks on the poor lad and he's got lots of holes in his top. But come on, man. I mean, I know you're tough, but give me a break. I mean, you shouldn't have really. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that the interactions between Tuvok and Seven are pretty good in this. And one of the things that I like is that we always want to believe, uh, we can believe that our Starfleet characters um, are going to make the right choice in every situation and yeah. have everybody's best interest in mind. But I kind of like the fact that Tuvok is pretty pretty honest about what Seven needs to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the logical path. She yeah. doesn't want to take a life, uh, clearly, because she's trying to regain her humanity, but yeah. he kind of lays it out for her. It's you don't want us to die, right? It's, yeah. it's literally going to be us or them. And I think yeah. the logical course is that you just, you're forced to do this. Go ahead and do it. Absolutely right. And, and I think there's, a, there's another thing that's kind of overlooked, which is quite significant. Uh, and, it, and it sounds like I'm being unfair to the character of Tuvok to say this, but I don't think I am. Right at the end, the, the dialogue between um, Seven and Tuvok, he, he, he thanks her. And I don't, remem- I don't remember Tuvok saying thank you to many people at all it was just it was just a, a very odd 
not not odd. It was just a little bit. It it was very heartfelt and it was very understated, very underplayed because Tim Russ was brilliant at playing, un, you know, underplaying the whole thing. And right. um, it was just a simple kind of thank you. And it was it was like um, I don't know. It, it, it was I thought it was a really 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 good ending. Really really yeah. neat ending. So I don't want to undercut that, but it's it is interesting that a Vulcan is giving uh, her a, a human pep talk. Uh, he's not even half Vulcan like Spock. So no. while he's helping her reaffirm her humanity and all of her emotions inside. Maybe his eyes are rolling just a little bit. Yeah. 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 Oh, come on. Yeah. Like <laughs> come on. You used to kill millions. Get on with it. Woman. Congratulations. Yeah. You're human. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really sorry for you. <laughs> as we, uh, as we wrap up here, was there anything that you wanted to say? Any uh, final thoughts you had about the episode? Only that I think it's worth people, um, revisiting it for two reasons. First of all, the, um, uh, the themes that we've explored and the the, the really sort of in, intricate uh, and very clever writing that goes on. And secondly, seven suits, which just look fantastic. Yeah, they, they do look pretty cool. Uh, let's talk My Space Dad Can Beat Up Your Space Dad. Who's your favorite captain and why? Oh. <laughs> um, mm, Picard. Picard. Because um, he can actually tell a wine snob in a room just by what they're talking about. And he would just he'd beat them up for that quite well. No, he'd roll his eyes and tut at them, which would probably be worse than getting punched. Yeah, he's the best disappointed dad in the galaxy. He, he is. He's not angry. He's just very disappointed. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Well, here at the end of the show, you'll receive a commission and the rank of ensign. Oh. Uh, what department on the ship would you work in? Um, can, I, can you put me in the armory? Sure, yeah. I'd just like to, I'd just like to clean... Pulse rifles and things like that, and laser phaser rifles. I just think that would be a nice thing to do. Get to talk to a lot of people, you know. Yeah, kind of a technical job, sure. <laughs> well, Anson Dows, thanks for joining me to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can at, at EISTPod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook, Facebook page, where can people find you online? I have um, a, a website, Chris Dows Online. Um, doctor, doctor. Is it Chris Dow's Online? If you just put uh, Chris Dow's Online into Google, you'll find it. I'm actually just changing my website address, so but so there's not really many Chris Dow's spelt D-O-W-S in the world, it has to be said. Um, I'm also, uh, you can contact me through the Star Trek magazine, or um, uh, it's just about it, really, on LinkedIn. That's about it. I don't do Facebook. <laughs> Facebook oh, okay. worries me, deeply concerns me, Facebook, so I don't oh, get boy, it. Boy, we have to get into that sometime. <laughs> okay, well, excellent. Uh, thanks again for joining me. You're welcome, Aaron. Thank you very much for your time. We are signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. It's on your mind.